Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. Well, this morning as we close out our series on epic stories, I want to share an epic story with you that may not be what you would typically think of being an epic story. Our character today has the distinction of being one of only two people who God took into heaven before he physically died. One of them you may be familiar with, if you've been around church, was probably the most powerful prophet that ever lived, Elijah, uh, was taken to heaven. Uh, But this uh, character has a little bit different. Uh, He doesn't hold the distinction of causing the rain to stop for three and a half years like Elijah did. Hebrews chapter 11, where we've been finding some of these epic stories, you don't see signs and wonders connected with his life and the things that he did in Hebrews 11. He didn't build an ark to save mankind. He wasn't the father of the nations. Uh, as we look at his life, he, uh, he didn't part the Red Sea. He didn't kill a giant. In fact, there seem to be no great signs and wonders that are attributed to his life. And yet, God was so pleased with how he lived his life that he chose to take him to heaven before he faced physical death. It's pretty amazing. So what did this man do that pleased God in such an amazing way that God says, I'm gonna take you before you pass? We'll see that today. Genesis chapter five, the second person with that distinction, Genesis 5, 24 says this, Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. What did Enoch do that was so amazing? He walked with God. So encouraging. Today, we're going to take some time and talk a little bit about that. What does it mean to walk with God? What does it mean to live a life that pleases the heart of God so much that he would honor us in such a way? So if you've got your Bibles this morning, go to the first book of the Bible. We're going to go to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 5. If you've got your phones, uh, if you're new here, take your phones, uh, log into lexcity.info. All the sermon notes are there. And uh, everything, ways to get connected with our church, you'll find right there at lexcity.info. Genesis chapter 5, probably a book in the Bible we don't spend a lot of time on. It's not preached very often, but it's filled, man, it's filled with some of the most powerful nuggets of truth. It gives us insight into the foundation of the earth, gives us insight into the creation of man and our human sexuality. It's all right here in this chapter in some of the early verses. And so let me just give you some context about what God says about us as humans. Genesis chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 says, this is the book of generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. The the creation of man and woman, it really follows, in many regards, this order of separation that we see all throughout the creation process. Let me give you examples. If you think back to the Genesis 1, this order of, of separation, God created this. He created the heavens and he created the earth. He created light and darkness, day and night, morning and evening, right? Clouds and seas, water and dry land, male and female, man and woman, fully complementary to yet one another, yet sexually very distinct, both created in the image of God. 
It's this order of separation we see all throughout the creation story. So he starts there. This is a little bit who we are as, as men and women. And then Genesis chapter 5 goes on to list uh, a list of genealogy, which isn't anything surprising. You see that throughout the Bible. So-and-so was born from so-and-so and so-and-so here. But in Genesis chapter 5, we see an interesting thing. It lists the ages of everybody since Adam in this genealogy. Now, when they list the ages, check out some of these lifespans. They're unbelievable. Adam, 930 years. Seth, 912 years. Enush, 905 years. Kenan, 910 years. Jared, 962 years. Must have been the sandwiches. And lastly, we have Methuselah. He beats them all. 969 years of life. 960. Folks, I'm in the 50s, and this is going badly. I mean, <laughs> it's not going to make it another 50, you know? It's not a pretty thing that's happening. And I begin to think about this. Like, 969 years, how is this possible? Let me today, if you don't mind, I'm going to take a little bunny trail with you. Let me give you five possibilities that I think might have led to longer life at the start than we see even today in modern mankind that we see. Maybe five things that contribute, I think, potentially to that. Number one, I was just reminded of this. We were created to live forever. Here's what I mean by that. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 reminds us. It says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. I was reminded that death was a consequence of sin. And the absence of that sin would have been the absence there. So sin introduces death to humanity. And really the, the degeneration of our genetic pool began with sin. Our genetic pool is weaker today than it was with Adam. Because sin and the progression there. Number two would, would be a, a lack of disease. Adam and Eve, right? Uh, created and they fell, they fell from what was a perfect world in the Garden of Eden. So for disease, we know a couple things have to happen, right? It, it would take time for disease to develop. It would take time for disease to evolve or to be developed in a lab, whatever it would be. Those kind of things take time to get us to the point. So lack of disease. Number three, uh, time to populate the earth. One of the things the Bible, God commanded was for us to repopulate the earth. So this would have taken an enormous amount of time to populate the earth if our prolific reproduction uh, would happen at the level that it does in the United States, for example. Right now, the average family has 2.6 children. Globally, the average family is 4.9 children. Think about how long it would take to populate the earth if each family only had 2.6 children. So now, think about the difference. If you had 200 to 300 years of prolificacy, can you imagine how much you could populate the earth? Now, when I said that, some of you, especially your young moms, you're like, <laughs> you're crazy. Two to 300 years, no sleep, changing diapers with a baby all day long, I'm out, you know? You all of a sudden might be in for multiple wives, whatever it takes, because 300 years of that is a lot. You know what I'm saying? But think about this. Populate the earth, how, how do you do that? You simply allow the lifespan to increase and those years of productivity to extend, and you can see where we get to where we are maybe quicker. Number four was accumulation of knowledge. With all of those years of living, you're gonna accumulate knowledge to help you survive longer. 
You're gonna learn what to avoid and how to defend yourself better simply over time and you learn these things. I, I thought about this yesterday. Can you imagine like right now, my, like I'm only one-ninth of all the knowledge I would have in that context. Yesterday, I was out hanging lights in the, I, I've learned to, uh, I've learned to wire something, and I've only blown four fuses, and it was going well, and I'm not very good around the house, a handyman. And so yesterday, I had hung some lights, and it actually worked, and I looked at Tammy, and I said, man, can you imagine if I was back in those days? I mean, I only, as good as I've now become, I'm only one-ninth of all the home fix-it knowledge I have. I mean, I could be the husband she always wanted around the house with 900 years of practice, you know what I mean? But it's just that you, you would accumulate the knowledge. You wonder how these ancient folks did these amazing things. You learn a lot. And I think even in context of survival. Let me give you the fifth one, which may even be the largest one. Is climate conditions could have had a major factor in how long people lived. Many different theories. One of the theories about what would have helped that would have been this water vapor canopy theory or the canopy theory that you may know. And this was basically the concept of this. That a canopy of water encircled the earth prior to the flood. And if that was a case, it would produce a couple things that would be beneficial. Number one, it would create a worldwide greenhouse effect Temperature would be stabilized, uh, things would be mild, uh, vegetation would grow easily, all those kind of things. The second part that that kind of concept would do, would it would protect the earth from the UV rays, a radiation that comes down, and you all know, you're out in the sun, sun ages you, all the impact that comes from those things. And so here's an idea, with that concept of the canopy theory, what a pre-flood earth would have potentially looked like. I just put it up here to give you just a visual, right? Potentially four flood, continents all there together. The Bible talks about that. Ex existing atmosphere, but above that was this water vapor canopy that could have protected the earth from those things. Not only temperature-wise, uh, but again, harmful UV things. We get an, uh, a picture of this. Genesis chapter 7. In the 600 year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the foundations of the great deep burst forth, right? Water came before, potentially where we got continental divides. And the windows of the heavens were opened. The canopy opens and rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and for 40 nights. First time in human history at that moment that rain falls from the sky. The protection diminishes. Now, evidence of potentially of something like that is true is, is simply looking historically, right? The, the life expectancy diminishes rapidly post-flood. For example, the Bible says Noah lived to be 130, or 930 years, and his son Shem lived to only 600 years, and his father Terah, father of Abraham, lived to only 205 years, and if you look, the expectancy of life continues post-flood to dramatically decrease. As the years pass by, lifespan gets less. Globally, think about today. Globally, let me give you three options. What do you think? Uh, lifespan of people globally uh, is today what, 66.7 years, 73.4 years, or 79.6 years? Survey says 73.4 years globally is the life expectancy. That's up six years from 2019, but you get the sense, long, much different than what we saw even here in the Old Testament. Bunny trail. So let's go back to our epic story of, of Enoch. We're seven generations after Adam, okay? Seven generations of time, and we have the birth of Enoch. Genesis chapter 5, verse 18. Then Jared, who had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Then Enoch, 
had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. 65 years in the life, isn't it crazy? And now he has his, his very first child. And when he has his first child, this changes everything, and some of you can relate and understand why this is the case, right? 65 years into life, and all of a sudden, this little baby changes perspective. It's bigger than me. It's even in terms of issues of faith, and so the Bible shares with us that spiritual things came into Enoch's life, and at age 65, he placed his faith in God. Look at verse 22. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah, 300 years, and had other sons and daughters. And for some of you, that, that's your story, isn't it? I mean, it's amazing how children can be this catalyst for faith. This little child, all of a sudden you look and say, whew, I'm responsible for something greater than myself, right? I, I want God and religion to somehow be a part of their life. And so we see all the time, people come back to church. What's one of the catalysts that does that? It's the birth of a child where you want something better for them than you experience, you want faith to be real. This is Enoch's story. 65 years of age, and all of a sudden he has a son. And in biblical times, when you named a son, you tipped, or named any of your children, a lot of times was deep meaning to that name. So Enoch being, uh, really names his son a prophetic thing that God lays on his heart, so Methuselah probably wasn't the name of choice, but the meaning of it was significant. In the Hebrew, Methuselah means this, his death shall send. His death shall send. Do you know what global event happened at the death of Methuselah? It started to rain. A guy named Noah had a boat that was already built. And I'm reminded of this. This is an example, again, of God's patience that he says to Enoch, listen, at the death of your son, my judgment will come. And God in his graciousness and patience allowed Methuselah to be the oldest man who ever lived, 969 years. Why did he do that? So that man might have a chance again to society to repent, to turn back to God. We're seven generations from Adam, and God says of Enoch, he was the man who walked with God. We've got generations that have turned from God, and God in his kindness and patience says, I'm gonna give you time the death of his son, then my judgment will come. And I'm reminded of God's patience, right? Second Peter chapter three, verse nine, tells us again, that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he has patience towards you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is patient with us. But God is just, and there will be judgment. Never, never mistake his kindness for weakness. The same as with our life, right? I mean, God is so patient with us. But there is a justice to God that calls, and that's the context of here. And so Enoch's son, Methuselah, is there. But let's go back to, to Enoch as we started. What, what made him so special and so significant that of all the people we've been looking at, why of him, of all of them, did God say, I'm gonna bring you to heaven before you actually experience physical death? Well, let's go back to verse 22. Here's the key. Verse 22, Enoch walked with God. After he had fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters, thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Verse 24, Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. He walked with God. How do we think about that? I encourage you, when you think of the idea of walking with God, it's the same as, as walking 
Same as walking with a good friend, right? The, the weather's nice. Your neighborhood's probably like my neighborhood. There's people out walking all the time now as the weather gets more comfortable. And as you watch them walk, there's a couple things you see in common that translate to what we're talking about today. Whenever you see them walking, a couple things are true, right? They're all walking in the same direction, right? Uh, they're walking at the same pace. One person isn't way ahead and the next person way behind. They're, they're walking in unison as they go, same pace. They're talking. They're listening. They're not distracted with their phones. They're not distracted with all the to-do tasks. They're, they're in the moment. They're present. And they're conversating as they go. It's so powerful. They're centered. I think the power of the walk, especially with a friend, the power of the walk, what do you experience? You experience harmony and unity and community. And that's what God asked for us. So I want you to take a walk. This is about a, a relationship with me. This is about this kind of relationship that transforms your daily life because we've spent time together. And as a result of that kind of walking with God, we see it in Enoch, and we see it true in our lives, right? That kind of walking with God, then we love the things that God loves. We think about the things that are true to the heart of God. When we have a chance to choose between what is right and what is self-serving, we, we choose to do what is right. We spend time talking to God. Not only just in terms of prayer, but again, can I encourage you on all this? Don't make this more difficult than it is. God says, take a walk with me. When you're in your car and you're on your way to work or you're on your way to school, talking with God is just taking those moments and say, God, I know what this 10 o'clock meeting's gonna be and it's gonna be hard. And God, just be with me today. Give me patience. Give me wisdom. Give me kindness. I'm heading off to school. God, be with me today. I, I know what it is. I walk in and I feel alone all day. I'm surrounded by other students, but I don't feel very worthy. I just feel alone. God, today, will you just be with me? God, will you just affirm who I am in you? I mean, it's these kind of conversations. Just have them in your car. Just take time to what? Talk with God. Then the second part of any kind of relationship is that talking and it's the listening. It's kind of what we took time this morning even to do together. It's just pausing and saying, God, what, what do you need to say to me today? God, you know what awaits me the moment I walk in the office, so what do I need to hear from you today? What needs to be true in my life? It's just that walking and talking. It's, we love the things. If we walk with God, right, we love the things that God loves. We love our family. We love our church. We love people who are far from God. And those kind of relational priorities change how we live every day. It changes the decisions. It changes the priorities of every day. And when I think of this example, this idea of just simply walking with God, I'm reminded of one of the families in our church. This is couples, one of the founding families of our church, I think who have modeled for us so well what it means to walk with God year in and year out. And Dan and Laura Harrington have an amazing story of how God has and they walk with God in times of sickness, in times of health, through seasons of addiction, through seasons of freedom, through the mundane, and through the miraculous. And this is a little bit of their story. I am Dan Harrington. And I'm Laura. We've been married 41 years and we have three grown daughters. When I was 17, we moved from uh, Colorado to Missouri and I knew I was going to be an engineer I mean that was just God's 
like finger on me. The University of Missouri had an engineering school in Rolla, Missouri, and so that was like, well, there's just, this is it, right? And there was this girl that showed up at church. She had on a gray suit with a, this gray hat and just, just, you know, really stood out. And I saw Dan across the room, you know, at some other events and thought he seemed nice and that kind of thing. But when we went on a mission trip together, I really got to know him. He talked all week about his family and his faith and I was hooked. We were on the team that started um, this church and so I was tapped to be an elder in the church and um, serve in that role. And my own um, struggle with addiction was a barrier to serving well. Hebrews talks about, you know, stripping off the, the things that entangle us, and I was entangled in, you know, the addiction, and so I had a, a conversation one night with the pastor, and, and he led me to, towards sharing my story with the church. Then shortly after that, we did start um, the ministry we called the mat, which was uh, for recovery, and I began leading the men's integrity uh, group, which I thought, who in the world is going to show up for this? And we had 15 guys in the first class, you know, the first group, and that was just that just blew me away. I uh, led a group for people who deal with chronic illness problems. Um, I had had a stroke and cancer. And so I spoke from experience, and that's what you have to do. You can't talk about stuff that you don't understand. In 2007, we had just celebrated our 25th anniversary the year before, and I started having trouble with my eyesight. And when I went back to my eye doctor, he said, well, I don't know what's wrong. I'm going to send you to UK. And they did a, a scan, a brain scan, and found that I had a tumor. When I had the biopsy the following month, something went wrong, and I had a brain bleed. And so I coded on the table and then uh, eventually had to have a craniotomy to uh, repair the brain bleed. I would have to say that was one of the closest times I've been with the Lord. I felt his presence. I read, read back through the journals during that time and I was confident, you know, that God was with us. As we faced, will I live or will I not live? He had to say, he's the only one who knows, and he's the only one who can take care of us. And we saw the church hold us up during that time. Even from the very first night when things went south at the biopsy, somehow with cell phones, everybody knew about it. And uh, we had 70 people, you said, at the hospital that night praying for me. He said, you, you gotta shake up the hospital a little bit. <laughs> and my disability has been humbling in a lot of ways. In fact, I had a good friend who said, you know, I used to feel like you weren't very approachable because your life was so perfect. You didn't have anything going on. And what she didn't know is that all the stuff that was going on was on the inside. It was a blessing in that way and that it made me more human and more able for people to talk to me. We've got a hanging there in the other room saying, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. You know, that's my intention. You know, that's my desire for my family. You know, I didn't know what would transpire, you know, what the outcome would be of any, any of these things that we've been through, but I always go back to, I have trusted the Lord with my life, whatever, whatever that looks like.
that he can even work in difficult things to bring more joy and more maturity and, and more depth of understanding of his character and his love for us. I guess that's what I've learned through all of these things in our lives. And that's what it means to, to walk with God. It's not perfection. It's not a performance. It's just this daily dependence, this daily communion with God that says, let's just, will you walk with me as I walk through life? Don't make it harder than it is. It's, it's simple, but it's not easy. Walking with God simply means this. When I get up in the morning, I, I choose to center myself on the things that are eternal and the things that really matter. So that may be for you some time of prayer or maybe some time in the Word in the morning with a devotional. It may just mean that you turn on some worship music while you're getting ready for the morning, but it's just a sense, God, I want to just start my day centered in on you. It may mean for you as your kids get ready and they're scampering off to school and all the things that you take a moment and you just pray for them and you, and you pray over them for the things that they're about to face in that day. It's those few moments that just remind us is you're not alone as you head out. Walking with God is that sense of when you walk into the office and there's the difficult people and you know who they are because they were difficult last week and they'll be difficult this week and they'll probably be difficult, but you just have some grace and some kindness and you just choose to see them through a different perspective. It's that kid at school that is always isolated and sits alone and nobody talks to that something within you just shows a degree of compassion and understanding and says, I see you even though you don't feel seen. It's just the integrity to to do an honest day's work for an honest day's wage, right? To, to do the right thing in those moments. It's the integrity that says at school, I'm just gonna choose not to cheat even though everybody does and it doesn't seem like anybody cares. I'm just gonna be a, a man and woman of integrity in those moments. It's walking with God. It's, it's on the way home and you're at the self-checkout at the grocery store and you choose not to steal by making sure everything you put in your bag you scan. When I get home, I, I just don't self-medicate because I'm frustrated and hurt and I feel out of control and I just need to stuff down the pain. I, I choose in those moments to, in honesty, give those pains and that hurt and that stress to the Lord to say, God, here's where I am today. I mean, that, that's it's walking with God. It's praying as a family before dinner, whether at home or in public, to just take a few moments and acknowledge, God, thank you for the gift of this. Thank you for your provision. It's at night when we put our kids down that we pray for them and we pray over them because they understand that there's something bigger than just them and, and we're a part of that. I mean, that's, and walking with God is that. It is simply just choosing to do the right things in the right moments. It's loving the things that God loves. It's, it's loving the church, being committed to being a part of his bride and what God calls you to do in those contexts. It, it's just those heart of doing those things. It's, it's the willingness to be bold in our faith, to share Christ with those at work and those in our family and when God brings those moments to have the courage to step into that tension and share what Jesus means to you and, and what it means. It, walking with God is the willingness to keep short accounts with God and with one another. When we fall short, 
of how we should live and how we should treat each other and how we should do. I mean, all of those things are, I think, what made Enoch amazing. No great signs and wonders. No miraculous miracles where he saved thousands. I don't know what, but God says this is about the man who pleased the heart of God. He simply walked with God. I don't know about you, but man, that would be the, that would be desire of my heart when it's all over, that somebody could just say, you know, he just walked with God. How about you? What would you like your story to be and for God to say? You know, I, this week, uh, Austin and I had a chance to talk a little bit about this as we were thinking about what it meant to walk with God. And for Austin, he's relatively young man, new in this journey, but I love what God is doing in his life, in him and through us. And so Austin, maybe share a little bit in your story, how that has really looked at you to walk with God at this season. Thanks, Brian. Um, yeah, so like a lot of us here, um, I, was, I was raised in church. Um, I was raised by parents who kind of their love for God and their obedience to follow God um, really made me want that. I wanted to follow God the way that they followed God. Um, from an early age, I kind of felt a calling from God and just seeing the gifts that he had graciously given me to go into ministry in some way, shape, or form. I didn't exactly know what that was going to look like. Um, but in and through that, my prayer all growing up was for wisdom and guidance. God, give me wisdom to make the decisions that I need to make. And just quite simply, just show me the path that you want me to take. When I come to a fork in the road, God, if I come to you, will you be faithful to, to lead me through that? And he has every single time that I've, that I or in my marriage now, Libby and I have prayed and asked him for guidance. He's been right there to give it. Um, so it, it's not always been the path that I thought. It's not always been the path that I necessarily wanted, but it's always been the path that's brought me closer And yeah, like Brian said, I relate a lot with this story today. I don't have a, a blinding light Damascus Road kind of experience in my life that I can point to and I can say, there, there's when things changed. Um, but I've been able to see God in my life. I've been able to see God at work in my heart um, and in the people around me. My testimony's a testimony of what God has saved me from his faithfulness through it all. It's a testimony of gratitude. I'm extremely grateful for where God has me. Um, as I've grown up and gone through college and everything, the older I get, the more I have to look back on. I'm able to see that God has been working in my life through everything. I'm able to see that the person I was in high school, the person I was in college, and the person that I am today would be vastly different if God wasn't working on me from the inside. He wasn't a part of my story because I know where my flesh wants to default to. And I'm here today because he's been faithful to give me that plan and to, to answer my prayers. Um, and there's a lot of time, quite frankly, that I'm not super apt to share my story or like, like what's your story? I was like, I, I don't really have one. But a story of consistency, of God's consistency, I'm reminded is what people need to hear. Sometimes you not having a great story is a fantastic story. 
People need that in their lives. They need to know God's faithfulness. They need to know God's consistency in your life. So I just encourage you today, share that with somebody because that might be exactly what they need to hear. But I know that the God of my past is the same God today. And his word says that he will continue to be that same faithful God in the future. So whatever you're walking through, if storms come, would you set your life on the firm foundation that is Jesus, that is your savior? Would you stand as we sing that truth out? Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church/give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.